Hello and welcome to Living the Dream for General Practitioners, the podcast for doctors and clinic leaders who want to learn about pathways, strategies and opportunities for living and working in Australia. Join me, Gemma Goff, and my expert guests as we share stories, unlock the secrets to recruitment success, share tips for moving across the world, navigating new cultures and so much more. This show is brought to you by Health Recruitment Australia. Now sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 5 of our GP Recruitment Fundamental podcast series. Today I'm joined by Luke Edwards, an immigration lawyer from Work Visa Lawyers, a migration firm in Adelaide. Luke completed a Bachelor of Laws, Bachelor of Science and a Graduate Diploma in Legal Practice. He was admitted as a barrister and solicitor of the Supreme Court of South Australia in February 2018. He has been a part of the Work Visa Lawyers team since October 2017. During his studies of law, he pursued an interest in migration through undertaking courses in migration law and policy, as well as refugee law and policy. His main focus is on employer-sponsored visas and has extensive experience managing the 400 visa, 482, 494, 186 and 187 visas. Today, Luke and I are going to provide information about the immigration and visa process, what options could be available to you and answer some of the questions we are both asked so often. Luke, welcome and thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. Um, so I would assume one of the first questions you're asked, it's certainly one I'm asked uh, frequently, is what visa am I eligible for and how does the process work? Yeah, so it's a good question, um, a, a big one. Uh, the, the process sort of varies depending on which visa someone's eligible for and eligibility can depend on uh, their profile, their experience, their age, um, Less so when we're talking general practitioners, but sometimes English language ability and things like that as well. Um, so most commonly I would see general practitioners coming into Australia under the 482 visa program would be the most common. And then it's a temporary employer sponsored work visa. Um, that's usually for a period of up to four years. Um, and then after being on a 482 visa for some time. Many doctors are then able to progress to permanent residency in Australia by applying for one of the permanent visas, such as the 186 employer-sponsored permanent visa, um, or other times the independent, not employer-sponsored options, which we usually call general skilled migration or GSM for short, um, which is the 189 independent visa or sometimes the 190 state-sponsored visas. Then obviously there's a big demand for doctors in Australia at the moment. So lots of states are quite interested to sponsor general practitioners and other doctors. Excellent. So if a state um, decides to sponsor one of the GPs, is that um, essentially mean that they can work in any sort of medical facility within that state or are they um, still required to work for one particular location? So because it's not employer sponsored under that program, it is a bit more independent. It, it does generally involve, in exchange for their no, their nomination, most states will ask the applicant to commit to a period of two years living in that state, um, but there's flexibility to, to move around within there. Amazing, amazing. So you mentioned there, Luke, um, 
you you said the word nomination. Now, there's um, often we're asked what's the difference between a nomination and an application. Could you explain the two? Yep. So when we're talking the employer-sponsored process for the 482, the temporary visa or the permanent 186 visa, um, I generally consider those are made up of two separate parts, the business part and uh, the visa applicant or, or migrants part. Um, and so the nomination is the business part, which involves them setting out details about the business, why they need the position filled, um, why they're having difficulty locating GPs locally uh, and showing that they're a suitable business to nominate this position that they've had trouble filling. And then the visa part is uh, on the GP side where they put forward, um, this is me, I am who I am, uh, verifying their identity. Um, and also showing that they've got the skills to fill the position and showing their qualifications and work experience um, and those sorts of things, as well as giving details of their family um, and satisfying other visa requirements such as character, showing that there's no criminal record that might stop them getting in or health assessments. Fair enough. That sounds good. Um, so can anyone nominate someone to come and work in Australia? So I wouldn't say anyone. Um, we often get asked about if people have family members and things that might already live in Australia. Um, and most often that's not suitable for, for nominating the person. Uh, generally speaking, if we're talking about GPs coming into Australia, we would usually be talking about the practice, um, nominating the person. And, and if it's a um, sort of a, a practice that's been operating for a bit of time and has a good reputation, and things like that, um, they're, they're quite often suitable to nominate, but not not everyone. Sure. And I believe um, sort of a, a GP clinic, for example, would have to um, become a business sponsor before they could actually nominate someone. Is that right? Yeah, that, that's correct. So for the first time a, a practice is sponsoring someone, they would need to get a five-year standard business sponsorship, um, which is a, a one-time application that then said lasts you five years and you can sponsor multiple GPs or, or other roles if, if suitable under that. Um, and then I, I sort of, I picture it as the nominations sort of plugging into that, that head sponsorship. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, I'm looking at my list of questions here, Luke. We've, we've had a few from our GPs and, and clinics, so we'll work through those. Um, we, uh, how would a GP know which visa was right for them? Is that something they can put it to, to the immigration website or are they better to liaise with an um, immigration lawyer? Um, so it, it can depend. There's a lot of information on the department's website and elsewhere online and, and a you know a first step for a lot of people looking to move to Australia is looking through those options and seeing what might, what might fit best. Um, but it can sometimes be difficult to tell what's suitable for someone's particular occupation and how the nuances of that might work as well as requirements around skills assessments um, and other more practical requirements about once you get here that might influence it. So, you know, uh, obviously, yeah, um, that's assistance we provide guiding people on what their best option is. Yeah, that's great. Um, so in regards to those sort of the application itself, um, what documents would um, a GP need to have sort of to hand when completing um, the application? Yep. So for the GP themselves, um, often they would need to show their the APRA registration is a big one. 
um, and providing copies of that, whatever um, particular registration they might have, their, their official certificates. They'd also be required to provide their qualification certificates um, from where they did their um, their bachelor or, or other qualification. Um, they'd also be required for a lot of visas, um, especially if we're talking the 482 visa has a two-year employment experience requirement. Um, so sort of a fresh graduate wouldn't be eligible for the 482 visa. They need to show two years of experience. Um, in some cases, internships and things like that can can count. Okay, good to know. But most commonly, that would look like a, a work reference from the who who you worked, who the GP worked for during that time, and evidence of the payment they received. So those sorts of things showing showing that they're a skilled doctor to, to come and work in Australia. Um, they'd also need to provide separately evidence of English uh, ability. That's Obviously, that's a requirement that APRA has themselves, and it's likely many doctors might have taken an English test already for that. Um, and in some many cases for doctors as well, their APRA registration having an English requirement um, means that their registration can also serve to meet the English requirement. Perfect. And things like sort of health assessments and, um, you know, police clearances, I assume those would be sort of documents that would be um, required to upload as well. And that's right. So police clearances are required from any country that you've spent 12 months or more in in the last 10 years. Uh, for some people, that's a lot of countries. For other people, less so. Um, but it is a process that, that can sometimes take the most fixed time, and so often people want to get that started sooner rather than later. Uh, medical assessments can be done before the application is lodged or afterwards. Um, it requires going to certain panel physicians that are chosen by the Department of Home Affairs in the, the person's current country they're in. Um, and sort of you can't go to any local practitioner and get them to conduct it for you and send it through. The department has a back-end system that's all linked up digitally and uh, the panel physicians upload the results there. Um, but it is required for, for all family members. Yeah, that's good to know. Good to know. And there's obviously a cost involved in the visas and then potentially to get those supporting documents like the police checks and the health assessments. I mean, perhaps you could share with us sort of the average cost of, of the visas at the moment. Yeah. So if we're talking an employer-sponsored 482 visa, um, GPs fall in what we call the medium-term stream of that, which goes for longer, but correspondingly is a bit more expensive. Um, and so that's approximately $3,000 Australian per adult um, and almost $800 per child Australian that's included. So something our um, listeners obviously need to consider as part of the, the bigger picture financial implications of migrating as well. So um, that, that's good to know. Yeah. And when we're talking permanent visas as well, often they're a little bit more expensive um, and are often more in the tune of about four and a half thousand for the main applicant um, and sort of 2000 for, for other adults included. So a little bit more expensive for that permanent stage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then how long before they're eligible for sort of citizenship then once they get their permanent residency? Because I'm assuming you can't jump from being a temporary resident straight to a um, citizen. You would need to have that permanent residency first. Is that right? That's correct. Yep. Um, and I guess to, to touch on the, the permanent stage in the middle, um, very recently, actually, just of last Saturday, the, or not, of 
Saturday, the 25th of November, just recently, um, the requirement has gone from three years working for your employer down to two years. Wow, great. For employer-sponsored permanent residency, which is obviously a big change. It's a whole whole year less. Um, yeah, and we, we do talk um, in, in later episodes with a real estate agent and we, and we sort of touch on the eligibility to sort of purchase the home on a temporary visa so that actually opens up that security for gps when they are looking to to put roots down here in australia that will certainly help help to do that so that's good that's good to hear yeah so that, that's very good now, once a gp has um submitted their application if they wanted to sort of amend that by adding in um you know another child or you know um and the in-laws or something like that is that possible to do that yeah, so that, that's a really important thing to consider. Um, generally, for Australian visas, um, only uh, members of the family unit can be included. Um, and, and most of the time, that is limited to partners and children, um, being you know minor children and adult children up to the age of 23 who are dependent on the family still, so not, not who've a 20 year old who might have married and has a full-time job wouldn't be eligible to, to migrate with the family but if they're still living at home and studying and those sorts of things then they, they often can up to the age of 23 that's good to know yeah that's great um and can they submit their application at, at any point or do, is there a trigger for them to submit their part how do, how does all that work yeah so in the visa application um, if we're talking the 482 employer-sponsored temporary visa, um, in the visa application, the transaction reference number or TRN for the nomination needs to be provided. Um, and when you enter that, uh, the, the Australian government's online IMI account system won't actually let you lodge the visa until that nomination has been submitted. Um, it also won't let you upload any documents ahead of time until that's been done. But once that's submitted, you can then submit the visa application after that. Um, many people will choose to wait until the nomination application is approved to have a bit more certainty when lodging their visa, uh, but also plenty of applications I've assisted with. It can be expedient to lodge them both at around about the same time. Like we said, nomination first and then the visa shortly thereafter. And that means if both of them take about approximately one month to process, um, that's one month instead of adding those two months together to make a full two months, which means coming to Australia a bit sooner. So what happens if you've um, you've submitted the, the nominations being submitted and you decide you're going to be proactive and put in your application as well, but for whatever reason the nomination isn't approved, do you sort of lose your money from your application fee or is there a way of claiming that back? Generally, if the nomination's withdrawn by the sponsor or refused, um, it is possible to request a refund. Uh, and most commonly that, that the refund is approved for those visas. Um, and that uh, currently can be done you know, online. There's a particular mechanism for it and you know, requires providing a few documents and things like that. Um, but And it can sometimes take a month or so to, to get that back, um, but it is possible. Okay, that's good. And what what if you um if you apply and you've paid the fee and you just decide that you don't want to move, do you lose that money or can you get a a refund for your application at that stage? 
if it's just change of mind, unfortunately, generally not. Um, yeah, the, the, the provisions for refund are quite limited. Um, and so if you withdraw the application, if the nomination has been approved already and you withdraw the application or the visa's been granted and you just decide not to come, uh, generally you'll have a short, well, generally you'll have uh, a year to arrive for the first arrival on the visa, but for employer-sponsored 482 temporary visa, it's a condition that you uh, sort of arrive reasonably quickly. Okay, well, that's good to know. So a GP really needs to be fully committed then really to the move or risk losing that uh, that application fee. So again, another consideration for the listeners. So that's also good to know. Um, so um, what are the waiting times at the moment? So nomination and, and the application have both been submitted. Um, what sort of time are we looking for to, to hear on those? Yeah, so... Uh, sort of like we said before, some nominations are approved within a couple of days even, sometimes up to a few weeks or a month. Um, and I'd say most commonly for the 482 visas, uh, we're seeing sort of a few weeks to a few months, maybe maybe two or three. The, the Australian government has been working very hard on, on clearing out their backlogs and improving processing times. And I think not, not in all categories are we seeing that just yet, but in employer-sponsored visas, that, that seems quite clear. At the moment, and especially given the high demand for GPs in Australia, I'd say applications by GPs are looked at quite quickly and tend to go faster. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. We've worked with some GPs recently, and um, yeah, it, it's been less than a week turnaround, which has been quite mind blowing. Considering a few years ago, it would have been sort of four or five months before, um, you know, we would hear anything. So that that's great for um, great for Australia, great for the need of uh, having the GPs in here. So that's super. We touched a little bit on uh, nominations um, and yeah, applications being rejected. We've talked about how they can get their money back. What about um, appeals? So if it's um, you know if a nomination or a visa application has been rejected, is there an appeal process or is the department's decision final? Most commonly, where an applicant is overseas and their visa is refused, there's generally not an ability to appeal that um, on a more practical level as well even in some circumstances where appeals are possible such as where an employer's nomination is refused it's currently about three years wait before that appeal will be heard and so for most employers um, even though with the expensive skilling australians fund levy for employers um, the additional expense can be worth it when we're talking a couple of days to, to say, redo job advertising and, and resubmit a better application. Um, the, the few thousand compared to a few years is, is usually a good, a good trade-off and um, I'd, I'd expect most GPs would be unlikely to wait a couple of years to see how that goes. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we've, asked, we've covered quite a bit, uh, Luke, in, in this chat. Is there anything you think that we haven't covered that our listeners um, should, uh, should know? That's a good question. Not, nothing in particular that jumps to mind. Yep, that's good. So um, it's likely information overload for our listeners, all of which has been incredibly helpful. Um, if our listeners uh, would like to speak to you directly uh, about anything that we've covered today or they would like the assistance um, of work visa lawyers uh, for their migration, how can they get in touch? Yeah, I'd say the best way to reach us is 
at our email address, info at workvisalawyers.com.au. Yeah, we would be happy to hear from anyone that needs help. Great, great. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for joining me today, Luke. I've really enjoyed our chat. It's been really, really helpful. Um, I hope it gives our listeners um, a little bit more confidence in the migration process, knowing there are professionals like you and your team available to help them. Um, And that's a wrap for today, everyone. Our next episode will be all things money. I'll be meeting with Kim Nitschke from Nitschke Nancaro Chartered Accountants, where we will discuss how, as a GP, you can set up your business here in Australia, how to make the most of your money and so much more. I look forward to you joining me then. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living the Dream for General Practitioners. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode. At Health Recruitment Australia, we want to see more happy GPs, thriving medical practices and healthy communities. If you'd like to join us on our mission, visit healthrecruitmentaustralia.com.au to explore opportunities and get in touch. Thanks for listening.